guys, this is Andrew Frezza with Care Coach Lead, and today I have one of my great friends on the show, Craig Avera, former CrossFit coach, CrossFit Games athlete, and now current owner of a successful coffee chain called Cali Coffee. They have two successful locations, and how many have in the works right now? We have uh, six more leases signed and a bunch more to follow. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about all things uh for Craig's CrossFit career, what he learned about coaching, personal training. He's worked with uh, some of the most high-end clientele out there when he was coaching. And then what he learned, he actually once opened up a Cali Coffee uh, years ago that failed. And then now this next version, he's doing it right. And it's been extremely successful. So there's like a ton of things that we're going to dive into today. And um, But I want to hear it from your side of things a little bit, Craig. So talk us through like... Where did the uh, where'd you get into the coffee business, and then how did CrossFit come up for you? Yeah, so there were there were different eras in my life for sure. I mean, coffee was uh, it was actually the first job I ever had. Um, I applied at McDonald's, they denied me, they wouldn't let me work there, so I was not a burger flipper. You were not good enough for McDonald's. No, they they wouldn't have me. So um, this could be a different conversation had they had they gone that route. But uh, then I applied at a local coffee shop. Um, there was a drive-through concept, and uh, at the age of sixteen, it was it was my first job aside from like mowing lawns in the summer. Um, and I just instantly fell in love with it and it was weird, but it was kind of, you're always evolving, you know, as a person every day. But even at that age, I was kind of like, man, this could be it. Like, and, and I kind of, it, it defined my path, um, in the years to come. And it really demotivated me from, from like going to school because I'm like, I, I, I know my path and I think it's a different one than the traditional college path after high school. So that was Dutch brothers, right? And they're still killing it. I think they just went public last year yeah, as a company. Um, so what did you, what was it about that? That was like, why wasn't that just like a Starbucks job that you work for two years and then you go move on to something else? What was that that made that more than just a regular job? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it was the the connection and just the, uh, the whole energy I got. I mean, it was, it was a job where um, you know, it didn't feel like a job. You went and you really got passionate and took pride in your work and you, you like took ownership even though you were just working hourly for somebody else. And you know, I didn't know any of the economics behind it really. I just knew it was a really busy, fun atmosphere and something that I was like, man, I could do this long in the future and uh, teach people how to do it and kind of recreate this vibe and bring something positive to any community we, we open in. Yeah, and for anybody who's not gone to either Dutch Brothers or your locations, the Cali Coffee locations here in South Florida, it's like a party in there. Like yeah. it's a drive-through concept, yeah. but like your little bit of taste of being at the window or whatever, you guys are high energy, it's super fun, and it's quick too, it's super yeah, fast. Exactly. Um, and I could see where if you're inside that environment, it's like a party with your friends all yeah, day long. It's hard to leave. I mean, people, our employees literally now, we have some of the best. We have, you know, we started out as one employee working and me and my business partner, Rose, um, it was it was just us three. And, you know, we put in crazy hours in the beginning and we wanted to be there for like every drink, every interaction, every conversation. We were like crazy amounts of FOMO if we weren't physically there. But, um, as, as we evolved and grew and the company kind of developed itself or we helped it grow, um, you know, we obviously hired more people and now we have almost 70 employees and they'll just be hanging out there on their day off. They just roll through, swing by, grab a drink and it's, they'll stay like an hour after their shift. It's pretty incredible. And that's exactly the same energy that I felt when I was a kid. And I'm like, I'm super excited that I see that because I'm able to be like, all right, I, I understand that because I've been there and I'm so happy that I was able to build something. Me and Rose were able to build something that, um, could create that kind of positive environment for them too. Yeah. Okay. So then where did CrossFit show up and now, and was that before or after you decided to open up your own version of this Cali coffee the first time around? Yeah. So original Cali coffee, the one that did not do so well, um, I opened up, I was 19 years old. So I, I, I was going to uh, Oregon state university. Um, and I was, I was just very, again, I was not motivated. I, I think I was, I didn't go to class very much. I, I pretty much just worked out and uh, kind of was an 18 year old kid that was like, I don't need to be here. I don't want to be here. So I'm not going to go to class. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was frustrating for me and probably for my parents too, because they were like, you know, like, why isn't he going to class? What's going on? But I was like, look guys, I dropped out after one semester and I was like, this is not for me. And, and I'm going to be here for four years. Like, I'm just going to rack up a bunch of debt. Like why, why don't I take that money in this, you know, my youth right now and, and try and put in an idea that I, I want to apply it to. And so reluctantly at first, but they came around and uh, they were very supportive in the end. They were like, all right, you know, maybe it's not for you. And that's, that's totally fine. Um, which is probably a hard pill for them to swallow, but, um, opened up 
the first Cali Coffee when I was 19 with my then business partner. And, uh, you know, we created all the logos and all the drink names and all this stuff. But I was young, you know, I was, I was 19. I still wanted to go out and I wanted to socialize. And I, I think I was like in my heart, I wanted to be there. But like physically, like there was that other side of me that was like, yeah, but I also want this balance and I want to be out, you know, partying with my friends and stuff. Mm. And it never allowed me to like immerse myself in the way that I know now you need to be. Like Where was that first location? It was actually in California. So the name, regardless, the name was going to be Cali Coffee. I don't know how nobody took that before, but we, you know, I it, it's trademarked now by us, so it cannot be sniped. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was uh, Southern California, about an hour and a half um, east of Los Angeles, which is where I ended up starting the CrossFit team. Okay. Yeah, I think the Cali Coffee name actually works better outside of California than it works inside. Of Ironically, California. yes, it does. Um, okay, so tell us about the CrossFit journey because you got some pretty cool stories and experiences through that. Yeah, yeah, best, I mean, the best days, man, for sure. I mean, I, I, I fell in love with CrossFit just the same way I did with, with the coffee world. So, you know, we we had the original Cali Coffee from when I was 19 to about 21. And then we, it, it just wasn't going well. It was like 2006, 2007, we started out doing okay. You know, we were like, man, we're keeping the lights on, everyone's getting paid, this is great. And uh, we just, it, it, we, it came to a point where we were no longer hitting those numbers and we were like, you know what, it's time to throw in the towel and admit defeat. We, we tried for a long time, but it just wasn't in the cards at that time in that location. And so, you know, it was, it was okay though. We, we failed and uh, moved on to something else. And uh, that's kind of when I was like, okay, well, what's my next, what's my next passion? And I always have been active. I played, you know, four sports in high school. I wasn't good at a couple of them. I was terrible <laughs> at a couple, but I dabbled, you know, and I was a very active person and loved to work out. So. Uh, CrossFit back then, this is like 2009, so it wasn't as sexy and like well known as it is now. You know, it wasn't on TV shows, it wasn't as glorified, and uh, it was it was in the infancy years. And so I think that was really cool to be able to join and start something when it was still super raw. People were running gyms out of the garage. You know, like literally, that was the first gym I joined. I think I paid the guy cash every time. Like, here's mm-hmm. how much do you want today? Oh, I got 15 bucks. Is that cool? He's like, sure, jump in. You know, and. His, his like dog would come out, his daughter would run out. And uh, and so I started that over in that part of California. But then when I moved out to LA, I got into acting. That was the goal. <laughs> I didn't get too deep into it, but I was trying to become an actor. I was like, all right, maybe I'll, maybe I'll like this. Like, you know, it was a total cliche. Like, let's go act or sing or dance. And I didn't know if I was an artist or not, but I, I just, I was like, LA seems fun, so let's go. And it, it, it was, it's a grind, man. It's like, I just, the, the politics and the everything behind it were, were not for me. But then I found a CrossFit gym in West Hollywood called uh, Brick CrossFit. And it was brand new. When I walked in there, I was walking to a Whole Foods and there was a girl named Elisa and she was passing out flyers. And I was like, oh, CrossFit, I've actually done this before. And she's like, yeah, dude, we're opening like literally right there. And so I walked over right then. I think I like forgot my groceries that day. I left them, ran over, walked in. And there was another girl in there uh, named Maddie Mosier, who she's a really good friend of mine. And uh, she was signing people up, and then JP, the owner, his name's uh, Gerald Perlmutter, who's like one of my best friends now. Um, I'm actually going to fly and see him next week in Nashville, and uh, he kind of showed me around. He's like, "You seem crazy. You're perfect here, man. Like, sign up." <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay." So I signed up. There was nothing in there. There's nothing to see. It was like a raw shell. I was walking on like gravel, and he's like, "Yeah, dude, our pull-up rig's gonna be over here, and we're gonna have boxes and rowers." And I'm like, "This sounds great. How do I? Here's here's my credit card." <laughs> and uh, so I just signed up and. The rest was kind of history. I guess nice. And so when did you start coaching over there? Um, I wanted to right away, but they had a pretty established group of coaches that he brought over from a previous gym. And so there wasn't really any space for me, but I'd always kind of expressed interest in doing that. And so I think it was maybe less, it was probably right under a year in as a member that he kind of took me in and started to uh, develop me as a coach. And I was pretty raw. Um, you know, I really had no little to no coaching experience aside from like, you know, when I was in high school, I, I coached like little kids, soccer stuff, that kind of thing. Nice. And then when did the, when did you start doing the games? Cause you got, you guys did a couple teams at the games, no individual stuff, right? For you? Uh, I mean, I did a lot of local. So that's kind of where it started was, I mean, I was, I was decent at cross. I was pretty decent at some things and pretty terrible at others, but I was like, okay, great. Let me get good at these things. I, I'm not good at which is like every CrossFitter, right? You don't come in with all these strengths. And so I really like the challenge of that. And um, I got into competing pretty immediately, honestly. I was, it was a perfect segue from going from like former athlete 
to like, oh, here's something I can do that's competitive with other people. This is perfect. And so I started competing um, almost right away and had a really good core group of people that we all kind of signed up for any local competition. You know, you'd pay your 50 bucks and, and go. And uh, I did okay at some of them. You know, I, I podiumed and won a lot of these little competitions, made some money actually. I think I made like three grand at one of them, which is cool. And uh, it was never going to be that road for me, but I, I enjoyed it. I loved that like, you know, heart racy, holy crap, this is, yeah. you know, fight or flight type of thing. I remember you uh, you showed me some of your early videos. I think it was JP like literally lifting your hands oh. back on the pull-up bar. Like you were just like blacked out, blacked still, out. still moving. There's YouTube videos out there, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't remember doing them, but they, they exist. Well, yeah. we have to search to find those. Yes. Craig, Craig, Craig Avera, for uh, CrossFit 2009. Yeah. Nice, and so you ended up doing what, three years of the games as a team? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, I didn't make the team the first year. In 2011, there was actually, our break team went to the games, which was amazing. Um, and they, they went, it was a team of, of six back then, and uh, they had athletes that were way stronger, way faster. You know, I was still very early in it. And uh, they went and, and did amazing. And that kind of really was, it was so motivating to see that, that I was like, okay, I want to be out there. You know, I want to be one of those guys that's, you know, on the field doing that. And so then I started training a lot more, seriously you know and I was like okay instead of just doing the workout three times a day which is what I would do I'd do like a class a class a class but it'd be the same workout so it's like I was training a lot but not efficiently and one of the coaches at Caesar was like dude you should have a barbell on your back every day like that's what you need to do like your Metcon's great but you you're not strong and I'm like you're right he's like okay why don't you actually follow a program instead of just doing random shit all day are we allowed to cuss on here of course okay yeah. cool <laughs> and so uh so yeah, so then I, I took it more seriously and uh, yeah, 2012 I was doing a lot of individual and team competitions and then 2013 was the first time I was on the team. I didn't make it in 2012 either. So 2013 made the team and that was actually a very interesting year because we qualified for the games. We got third at regionals, it was a crazy weekend, you know, nail biting finishes all the way through and we, we made it and then actually had an athlete we were on the podium we got our medals our t-shirts our proven shirts and uh they called us uh crossfit hq contacted us uh, like a week later and said hey you know we got wind that you might have an ineligible athlete on your team and you need to disprove that or we have to revoke it and um it was a, a scenario of uh we had a traveling athlete and uh she apparently we tried to follow the rules but she just did not make the cut for how many days you needed to train um, consistently throughout the year because she was flying in from Oregon actually. So they revoked it. They're like, yep, send your medals back, send your shirts back. And uh, who's in fourth place? Oh, Crossfit Paradiso, you're, you're going to the game. So then we went to the games, watched, and it was just like gut-wrenching. Like somebody just stabbed you. Every time you saw them running out on the field and they're all excited and everyone's screaming for them and we're like, yep, that could be us, but not this year. So then we came back in 2014 with a vengeance. We trained so hard that year and uh, then we made it. We took. We were actually at first throughout the weekend. We were beating Invictus, who, who won it that year. They won the games, and uh, we ended up in third, which was great. And uh, went to the games that year, and uh, it was the best, man. Just the best. Yeah, that's awesome. So talk to me about the coaching side. You started at Brick. You eventually coached for us as well. Um, and what was that experience like coaching at Brick? And yeah, what was that like for you? I loved it. I mean, I think the energy is very different. And again, like CrossFit's gone through so much progression um, throughout the years that when I coached to Brick, it may have been a little bit different of a monster than when I came over here. And I mean, I've been to so many gyms and working at Brick and working here um, is, they were both like just the best in, in so many ways. And then so many different nuances that were, um, I was like, wow, like Brick does it one way here, CrossFit Palm Beach, not Fit Town, does it this way over here. And I'm like, neither are wrong i just i think there were different approaches like with anything in life um brick it was a very it was super youthful it's such a transient city it's west hollywood so you had all these 20 something you know actors a lot of them are just they're running out of class because all of a sudden they got an audition they got to be on the other side of town for and so it was fun you had that like vibrant young um energy and then cross palm beach now fit down i'll just call it fit town from now yeah is a lot more kind of like a little bit older demographic but people are like taking it just as seriously, if not more, because they're more worried about like their life and it's a little less vain in that sense, you know? I think everybody gets into it for the right reasons, but then everyone tailors it to their needs and so it was cool to see both sides. 
Yeah, and you worked with like a lot of high-end clientele, especially at Brick. You were still kind of, when you were here, it was more about, let me make some money while I'm about to open Cali. Right. But when you were there, you did personal training with, you know, high-end actors and people like that. Yeah. What did you learn in that experience that you could share with other coaches out there that want to work with, you know, whether, whether it be someone who's famous or not, but someone who has a high expectation and the money is pretty much a drop in the bucket for them. Yes, I, I think the most important thing, people are people at the end of the day and they wanna feel comfortable with who is training them and who they're investing their time and they're, you know, they're, they're basically saying, here, here's my body and I'm gonna pay you a lot of money and you're the pro so, you know, lead me down a good path. And I think just being relatable to people is so important um, and then having that knowledge base. I, I find that it's, in, in a way, it's almost equal measures. Like you gotta be somebody that they look forward to, that you can kind of jive with and you have good chemistry because you are, you're spending so much time and they're, they're taking your instruction, it's very physical, it's very like, you know, hands on. And so even if the smartest, best coach out there can't relay that information to a way, in a way that makes sense to that athlete, then eventually it's just gonna, I think it's gonna fizzle out more than likely because the, the athlete's gonna be like, well, you know what they're doing, but I don't get it. So I'm going to go find somebody who I can. And that's what happened with a lot of these guys, you know, um, like my biggest client ever, he was just, you know, he's, he's uber famous. I got so scared the first time I, I met him and trained him. And then, you know, within a month or so, we're like going to yoga together and getting takeout together and just like growing out. And you're like, dude, this guy's just a, a normal dude with his normal car. And he's just, uh, happens to be on the cover of a lot of magazines, but Super normal guy, and once you started training him, you know you would. He was just like anybody else. Super yeah. motivated. Are you allowed to say who you train? I think so. Yeah, we never said Yeah, it was Ryan Gosling, and yeah. he was actually my favorite actor when I moved to LA. He was one of the reasons I wanted to be an actor. So it was very um, surreal to be able to train him and uh, actually taught him how to do a handstand push-up after. Uh, Crazy Stupid Love came out. I go, hey, was that, were you really doing that handstand push-up in that scene with Steve Carell? And he's like, actually, I wasn't. Like, I, they were faking it. He was talking about how it was staged. And I was like, well, I can do this. I can teach you how to do it. He's like, let's go. So then we started working on that. And um, it, it was cool to see those kind of things. So, yeah, I remember you shared a story with me. And I, it might have been Ryan or it might have been someone else that was also an actor. But you were saying how, like, this person literally gave you a budget to build them a gym on set wherever they were going for this movie. And it just, the point that I, I got out of it that I want a lot of people to understand is when you work with someone who's been really successful, whether it's an actor, it could just be, you know, someone who's just been successful as a business owner in real estate, whatever, when they have that like high performing mindset, they want someone who's gonna like take care of stuff for them. They yeah. want someone who's almost gonna be like an assistant for them, but is relatable and has the knowledge of training to go with it. Yeah. But they want you to take stuff off their plate and they don't have to think about it. You just take care of it. Exactly. And when you take on somebody like that, you're kind of apprehensive because you kind of think the opposite. Like, man, there's so, you just get in this weird like starstruck mindset for a little bit you're like you, you tiptoe around a little bit and at the end of the day you're out you nailed it like they really just want you to to set it up for them tell them what to do and the less they have to really think about in a way the better for them you know because there's so many other things going on yeah and that story was didn't you say that you bought all this equipment for them they didn't even use it at all yeah it was, it was ryan and so we he was shooting a movie in atlanta it was called the nice guys um with uh, Russell Crowe, it's a funny like dark comedy, and I was actually at first I was gonna fly out and uh, and like live around there, probably in like a little. They would put me up in some kind of apartment or whatever, and uh, and I would have trained him on set. And he was like, "Let's do it, but let me get out there first and see if it makes sense." Then he gets out there after like the first week, and he's like, "Dude, we just these nights are crazy. I'm I'm not gonna train." So uh, the studio said they would pay for a gym if you want to go through and do it, and I'm like, "Okay, cool." Like. Uh, What's your budget? What should I? He's like, you know what I like? And there is no budget. The studio's paying for everything. I go, come again? He goes, yeah, everything. I'm like, okay. So I, I literally made a card for him and he sent me like a card to use or something. And I forget how we worked it out, but I got a gangster stuff. I was like, oh, a Lego barbell, it's 12. And he said, there's no budget, whatever. <laughs> the sad part was at the end of it, he said he used it none and he had no clue where the equipment went. So. It's a lot, man. You had your dream shopping spree and it never went anywhere. Could have been, yeah. Okay, nice. So then you guys um, came to, to Florida and you guys had traveled here before because 
uh, your girlfriend Rose, who you opened Cali with, the second version of Cali with, she had dropped into the gym prior to you guys moving here because she has family yeah. in the Jupiter area. And then what made you come over here? Was it specifically for Cali? Uh, yeah, so I, I'd never really been to Florida at all, but she was very familiar, like you said. And uh, really, it was kind of just, we were looking at the country and just saying, hey, where where can we take the concept of Cali Coffee and, and kind of put our flagship location down? And uh, we looked all over. We were looking at just random places, kind of, you know, we wanted to change. We wanted to be in an unsaturated market. And I mean, geographically, Florida makes the most sense. It's like way down there. And uh, so she was familiar with it. So we were like, all right, let's hop on a plane. She's like, I think, I think it'll do well here, but I'm not sure I want you to see it. So we flew out. And as soon as we were like, we were, I'm looking out the window of the plane. And I'm like, oh my God, it looks like a flat California. This is awesome. And we land and it was super hot. I remember it was just like sweating. And I'm like, where are we? This is crazy. But then as soon as we started driving around, I realized that it was it was perfect. And like within a, 10 minutes, I was like, this is it. Let's start packing and let's move here. And it's exactly what we did. We, we spent a couple of days just kind of scoping it out. And uh, as soon as we flew back, we packed up and flew right back and, mm -hmm. and started living here. Yeah, I remember when you guys were here, it seemed like you guys were really looking to have your first flagship location in our area in Jupiter because that's where you, your home base was. You were coaching at the gym, working out at the gym, and that Jupiter was kind of pushing back against drive-throughs. And it ended up being like, we didn't hire you at first as a coach because we thought your only goal was to open up Cali. And it seemed like, okay, in six months, we we're only going to hire you for six months only for you to go and leave. Yeah. And then that dragged on for several years at that point. So you guys finally opened up a location in Hollywood, Florida. And, but my viewpoint, seeing it from the outside, it was almost like a good thing that you got pushed back so far because the amount of stuff that you built out for the brand prior to opening in day one yeah. seemed to really set the stage for you guys to hit the ground running. Um, so I'd love to hear what your thoughts were on that time frame, but also what you tried to do different this second time around with Cali that you didn't do right when you first tried to open up that location in California. Yeah, so on that point first, I mean, there was like a lot of time and effort spent into making the brand look like a brand, not just like a mom and pop shop. Um, I think I'm, I've always been a very huge fan of branding and, and marketing and just like um, that eye appeal, that visual appeal that people get because um, I always, I just appreciate it. And so you're right, I, we, everything took like 10 times longer than we expected. We thought we were gonna come down, find a location, sign a lease, build it up. We'd be serving coffee in like three to six months. I mean, and it literally took from the time we signed the lease, which was six months after we moved here, took us two years from lease signing to actually serving coffee. There's so much red tape and um, steps that you just can't avoid. And the building was being built. You didn't have, it wasn't an existing building. It's exactly true too, yeah. So we didn't go into like a, a plaza, because um, in my head, like the, the first Cali had to be a standalone, had to be a freestanding, like very familiar to what my grassroots are from, and I wouldn't like have done it any other way. And so to do that, there's like a whole nother list of things you gotta go through and all these city commission meetings and DRCs and, and PNZs and yada, yada, yada. And it's a whole lot of red tape that you just, as, as a passionate coffee maker, you don't realize that until you evolve into an entrepreneur by seeing all those things. Yeah. So it's almost like a, yeah. And then during, in the interim, while all that was going on, and there was a lot of uncertainty because even as you're going through this, because you've never gone through it, you still don't know how far away the finish line is. You're like, oh, okay, so I have 92 more things that I have to go through that are out of my control before I can open. Sweet, this is awesome. And everything costs money every step of the way, of course, and time. And there's no timeline. They don't say, okay, well, cool. So yeah, if, if you follow these steps in uh, 92 days, you'll be open and ready for business. You're just guessing. And I would literally not sleep because I was so anxious and just like obsessed with getting open and most of it though I couldn't do like I there was nothing I could physically or you know there's nothing to be done except wait for the next city meeting where they review you and hopefully move you along to the next but like you said you know it allowed me to learn illustrator I mean all the branding stuff all the you know most of the stickers and stuff in the beginning I was designing myself and I didn't have any experience with that but I asked a friend, like, hey, what do you use to design stuff? He was like a, a graphic artist. And he's like, oh, I use this thing called Adobe Illustrator. And I go, 
oh, okay, I'll, I'll download it. And so I get it that night and just spent, I mean, I'm still learning it as, as we go on, but I had so many very specific ideas of what I wanted things to look like and the exact like color hues and shades and how curved I wanted the lines to be on the logo and that kind of thing. And I was like, well, fuck it, I'll just do it myself because it's gonna take me just as long to hire somebody and have to explain what's in my head to them. Because every little detail, I'm just like so psychotic about. And so I taught myself how to use that and it, it really does pay off. And now um, I'm still designing stuff because I really enjoy it. I was up last night till like 1 a.m. redesigning the menu for the sixth time. And I, I just, I enjoy it. I love progress and evolution and uh, never getting complacent. Yeah, I think that single decision alone was a was a huge difference maker for you and, and the success of the company of you deciding to do Illustrator and you know, I know you're like, you guys do sticker day at the beginning of each month. Yeah. Every month you come up with a new sticker and that's become like this, like cult following just in the stickers. You said some people like resell them, right? For Crazy. a huge amount of money. Yeah. Um, and you know, your logo, you've redone the menu so many times and there's so much to that brand. And it's, it, when I look at your two journeys with the first Cali to second Cali, it reminds me of the CrossFit gym owner or coach who's like, oh, I love fitness, I love CrossFit, let me open up my own gym, versus the bricks of the world, or I would say maybe not when we first opened, but the second evolution of CrossFit Palm Beach and Fit Town, where we said, you know what, we're gonna be a real legit business um, in the second half of our, our um, evolution, it's just a completely different approach, yeah. and that's the difference between being successful and, and failing. 100%. Yeah, so what what else did you intentionally build in from learning from Dutch Brothers to this second Cali? Like what makes that experience? Like most, I always say most people that are listening to this don't, they wanna know like how is this different than a Starbucks? So like what are some of those touch points or elements that you guys do that like make it different than just a Starbucks experience? On that end, it's, it's mainly just, it sounds cliche, but it is the experience that's provided. Like from the time they pull into the parking lot and see like our vibrant yellow and blue colors and like on our Hollywood like monument sign, it says something that a Starbucks would never put on there. It says season slay because I didn't have enough room to put our full slogan, which is seize the day, slay the night. And that's kind of just our mantra of how we approach the day and, and our attitude towards everything. I mean, we're, we really don't even, we serve coffee and Red Bulls, but we, we always say that we're like in the people and the relationship business and that's really what we focus on and then we got to serve them something to keep them coming back. So we give them coffee and we, we do a pretty damn good job of it. Um, and our drinks are fun and, and all that, but we really focus. I mean, when we hire a new person, it's, it's literally a hundred percent. Okay. What's your personality like? And can you relate to people around you? And that's all we care about. If you've people come in and they've got, they're like, I worked at Starbucks for, for six months. Here you go. Like, and they think they're shooing, you know? And I'm like, Eh, I don't care about that at all, yeah. you know. But can you talk to somebody and hold the conversation and connect to them on, on like a daily level? And uh, that's the biggest thing is customer service um, at the forefront always, and and just doing just stuff that's above and beyond. Like when it's when it's raining, going out and still giving somebody the same level of attention as if as if it was whatever out, or you know, giving their kids lollipops, their dogs little little pup cups. And I know Starbucks, I think does that too, but we learned the dog's name and like when they were born, if they're having puppies, we help them adopt their puppies. And just all that kind of stuff, we really become a part of this person's not only their morning co coffee, but their whole daily routine. And around the holidays, you know, they're giving us Christmas cards and gifts and goodies. And like, they like take us in as part of their family too. So, I mean, we give back to them, but they really take such good care of us. It's like this whole amazing Yeah, some of the things I picked up on is like, you guys write like, really like fun motivational stuff on like the, the lids. You guys do whipped cream on the straws. Um, you guys literally like run out to the car. So I mean, if anybody hasn't followed you on social media, I mean, you have sometimes 50 cars in line at your stores at any given time. And you're meeting, I mean, you might be meeting the tw 10th or 12th car in line, get their order on iPad and it's speed. I think speed is one of the things that combined with the energy of your brand is super valuable because you have this super bubbly, fun, high energy brand, but then you actually have true speed of service yeah. to match. So people are in a weird way, they're happy to wait 40 minutes for a coffee because once it's their turn, they see how you guys deliver. 
versus if there was eight cars in line, they wouldn't wait that same amount of time because they'd be like so frustrated about how slow it is. It's like they know that you guys are going to deliver and just turn it over so fast. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really where the value comes in for people is how quickly you guys deliver. Like the ability that I don't have to get out of my car and I know I can get, you know, they're going to be on point in yeah. that delivery as well. Yeah, um, speed's huge. It's such a big part of it. Um, and it, it is, it's a tricky balance. Sometimes you got to find the synergy between giving them the attention you want to give them, but also catering to the fact that there's also 19 cars behind them who mm. the last person in line has to get to work or pick up their kid from daycare. So finding that balance, we basically try and provide the customer with like the best, like as long as it takes to get the order in, but like the best experience and then learn about it at the same time. But keeping that, that speed in mind. Yeah. It's so similar to CrossFit because you might have, you might have a class of 15 or 20 people and you're trying to, to say hi to everybody prior to that class starting, yeah. use their name, but it can't just be like, Oh, Hey Craig, Hey Rose, Hey John, Hey, hey Tim. Like it can't be so fast that you're just checking the box to say everybody's name. You have to do it in a way that feels sincere to them and feels sincere to you yeah. where you're not just rushing through everybody to say everyone's name, but everyone still gets acknowledged. So they don't go, they're not 20 minutes in class or worse, the class ends and you never acknowledge them once. You never yeah. like saw them and made them feel seen or heard in that experience. Yeah. So what, what things like, how do you, how have you translated your experience with CrossFit, whether that be as the athlete side or the coaching side into your success now in business? Like you're, you mentioned this first Cali how your your work ethic wasn't really that good how much of how much of crossfit has really changed you in a way that's allowed you to be successful with the second go around yeah i think there's a ton of parallels i i compare i use crossfit and and cali coffee a lot just in general and then when you run a gym like this even more so it's just because it's so communal um but yeah i i think both parts a lot of it was just me outgrowing my 20s and, and becoming smart and mm -hmm. prioritizing things. Um, and I've always been kind of entrepreneurial, but I think uh, there's so many elements from both sides as an athlete, you know, that hard work ethic, showing up when you don't want to. I mean, that's huge, right? Like, I don't want to go train right now, but I know I need to because my back squat's not where I need it to be. So I'm going to go put in another lifting session or, or whatever it is. And it's the same thing when you're I mean, we wanted to be there at Cali Coffee all the time, but we were putting in like 16 hour days for like 127 days straight in the beginning. Um, and so I think you actually build up that stamina. Like I literally think being a CrossFit, a CrossFitter, I guess, um, you have a better tolerance for pain, for like uncomfortableness and for like putting in those hours and just being on your feet all the time. You're used to like grinding it out and, and doing all that. I, I literally think it helped a ton. So the order was perfect, you know? Yeah. First time around, I was just a, a zit-faced, you know, 19-year-old who'd done some high school sports, but I, I hadn't developed the discipline was a lot of it too, um, or the work ethic really to, to be in a position to do it well. Yeah, I think, I think um, for anybody who's coaching too in CrossFit, there's a certain there's a certain skill set required that you have to develop, whether that be being in front of groups, developing relationships, helping people achieve a goal, um, creating a plan for that so someone can help achieve a goal. But I just think like, regardless of where you go, CrossFit coaching and personal training can be such a great way to develop the skills to be successful where you ever go, wherever you go next. Like the same way I would say, pretty much everyone should either work like service or sales at some point in their life. I think that the, the CrossFit space, the functional fitness space can be a great way to just develop skills that translate so many other places. Yeah. Nice. Um, when it comes to be like, uh, you know, you have multiple locations and um, you're overseeing, how big is your staff now? We have almost 70 people. And really, I mean, we do have 70 once all the kids that are at UCF, UF, and all the Fs, all the state colleges, <laughs> and, and stuff, once they come back for the holidays, they want to work here in the summer. Yeah. And then we do have over 70 people. So we have some seasonal people that we'd love okay. to have full-time, but they're, they're getting their education. So what have you guys learned about hiring? Because you're hiring for a very specific culture and training as well. Like, what have you learned from when you first started hiring for Cali to now 
what's changed in that process. Do you mean from the first, the Calicot, original Calicot? Either one, or? this, this, yeah, either that original or even just when you open this Hollywood one, what you're looking for now. I think the principles have always been the same and they really haven't changed a whole lot. It's like literally we hire based on their energy, their personality and the ability to, to connect with people. Um, but with Hollywood, when we first opened, we didn't really need anybody. And then we started getting busier and we were like, not getting any sleep and we're like trying to find some resemblance of balance in life at all and so we were like okay let's we're ready to hire somebody else on and basically trust them because now they're 25 percent of our entire staff because mm -hmm. we had only one other employee so they went from three to four that's a big jump it's not going from 99 to 100 and so we were very picky and uh you got to trust that person with something that you just spent your entire life basically building and especially the last few years and we, we got to a point where we were growing as a business, like our, our sales were increasing end over end and we needed more people. And so we did, there were a couple of people that we hired initially that maybe they don't work here now. Everyone we hired now is great, but like we had some people who we took on in the beginning that we were like, it was almost like a desperation, like a, like a Hail Mary and we thought we could teach them. Like the, mm -hmm. it, was a, it was a huge lesson because we were like, okay, this person might not be the ideal candidate, but they have some of the tools we look for. So, so what, was, what was missing in those people? They just interview and they wouldn't, wow, you wouldn't like, you mm. weren't like, wow, I'm connecting with this person right now. I'd be like, you're still trying to get a read and, and, but they had elements that would be like, oh wow, there's a little spark there and yeah. maybe we can enhance that spark. And so we tried and, and I think at the end of the day, that's the hardest thing to teach is that personality, you just really can't, you can't change. You can teach people, you can teach them how to make drinks, you can teach them how to you know, run iPads and all that, but like to change their intrinsic personality is, is very, very difficult. And if you do, it's almost gonna come off as like phony at that point. Yeah. So that's always been the biggest challenge is finding the right employees. Do you have any questions or like filters for that now? So like two of the ones that I've heard and used is like, would you be excited to be in a six hour car ride with this person? And then another one that I actually really liked recently, which is like, if you're not, if, if you're not excited and ready to work for this person every day for the rest of your life, don't work for them even one day or work with them for even one day. So it's a good way to think like, okay, I'm kind of marrying this person versus like, oh, they might be able to be okay. Do you have any like questions or filters or that you kind of like think about it now or are you like would they maybe get along with the people we already have that are those eight players that's big chemistry's huge yeah you kind of look at the group you have and <clears throat> i mean there's so many personality tests but i really like the examples that you just used and i'll probably use that so <laughs> thank you for that um i mean we, when we do an interview with somebody we we literally have them go out we, we talk to them and within the first 30 seconds almost you know even when they walk through that door for the interview and you like shake their hand and meet them yeah. and they're you're like hey i'm craig and they go hey i'm, I'm whoever you already know, you already get a sense of their energy and sometimes they'll be very like reserved and like I'm scared, which is fine. Um, it's, it's a very loud environment. So um, not all of our employees are extroverts, but we'll interview them and you kind of know within the first 30 seconds, we have some questions that kind of coax personality like questions out or answers out of them. Mm -hmm. And the way they handle those is a good indicator. And Do you then, have any favorites of those question wise? <sighs> We just ask broad questions a lot, like, hey, you know, in high school, what'd you do? Did you play any sports? Or like, what were your activities yeah. that you like? What do you like to do now? What do you do in your free time? And sometimes we get boring answers, but said well, you know, like, oh, you know, I don't do much, but like, I got a lot of goals, you know? I'm like, you're cool. I like you. <laughs> or they'll be like, you know, uh, they just don't have answers or they're, they're very just not excited to be it. It's almost like they're doing you a favor for showing up. And then we take it a step further and we have them actually come out and they'll talk to some customers with us. So we go with them, we're like, you know, arm in arm basically. And we have them uh, just interact with some of the customers and, and see how they do. And, and uh, that's in the first interview. Yeah, they don't even know. It's like trial by fire. And we do yeah. that every time. So it, it's kind of an unwritten thing, but we, we do it right now and it, it works well. You really do see who, who has that natural ability. Yeah, I, like, I mean, I like what you had said about in the first 30 seconds, you know, because basically that's your product. I mean, how, how long is someone in a busy day, how long is a car in front of the drive-through, like in the window, the actual window itself? Yeah. It's like under a minute, right? Yeah, usually by the time they, we take their order out there and by the time they get to the window, nine times out of 10, it's already ready. So at the window, you're just kind of like, hey, Joe, how, how, you know, how, how do you do at the t-ball game or whatever? And you, you, it's quick though, like you said. So yeah, basically they have 60 seconds to 
connect with you and if they don't then you pretty much know your answer yeah we can almost do like a 60 second interview where we ask them one or two broad questions and just see how they do because you're right that's our model another thing that i think is common in your space when hiring similar to like our crossfit functional fitness space is that you have a lot of people that know and love the brand that want to then work for it you know the member that wants to be a coach the the fan of Cali, the cult follower that now wants to work at Cali. Yeah. And I think there's a difference between the person who, like there's two groups of those type of people. Some are a great fit to work for you and then some of them aren't. Have you distinguished like with Cali of who the cult follower is that you're like, eh, I don't want them versus yeah. the person that you really like? Yeah, it's really tough. You're, you're so right. You get passionate for something and so you're like, hey, I think I could be good at this. And, and sometimes you're right and sometimes you're so blind because you're, you love it, but you're like, man, I wouldn't be good at that part of it. And we do get that and it gets awkward and we, not awkward, but we just try and diffuse it in a way that they still feel wanted. We don't want them to stop coming because they're offended, but we get a lot of our customers do come in. And a lot of times it's literally just a matter of they're, they're too young or, cause we have a pretty young demographic. So high schoolers have a, a tough schedule. It's hard to work with them, but we have some of our best employees are high schoolers. So yeah, it'll be a thing where they'll apply and we'll be like, oh, that's great. But then you think about it and you're like, man, they just don't quite have what it takes, what we need for them to be on this side of the wall, you know? Sounds like for you, it might be more of like a maturity element to it. Yeah. Because they are so young. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. The age plays into a lot of it. And like going back to what you said before, just creating that chemistry, you you do want it to be this synergistic environment. So you got to think about who you have here and if, if this newcomer is going to jive with them. And it's a very welcoming atmosphere. As soon as somebody's hired and they go through even their first day of training, I mean, everyone's like, hey, man, like, you know, if you have any questions, it's usually, hey, girl, because we have way more female applicants, but they will we'll just embrace them and, uh, you know, hey, text me if you need any help. I was there before, too. And if you have any questions, like, people are just reaching out to help them mm-hmm. on their own, which is really cool. And we didn't even, we never pushed that. It's just something that organically happened, but it makes our job easier because now you have an army trying to bring, elevate this one new person up. Yeah. Um, So I want to finish up by talking a little bit about kind of the vision for the business and how you went from one to now you have two locations to you have a lot in the works right now. And, you know, what, what, when did you decide you were going to open up more than one? Because I see with, with a lot of gyms that want to open up multiple locations, they tend to open them too early Mm -hmm. and they don't have a lot of success with one location before they go to two. And that... Um, you know, most people underestimate the power of like exponential growth, which you guys are starting to about to tap into that, but that in order to get exponential growth, you have to be really good at your first one to two. And it is actually very slow at first. You know, it took you two years from signing a lease to opening even your first version of this, you know, the second evolution of it. So, um, when did you decide to open up the second one and how are you thinking about, how have you been thinking about growth in multiple locations? It's a great question, and it's evolved a lot. I mean, you couldn't have said it better, though. The, the first location is is always the the one where you're working out any kink, because theoretically, you have this idea of what it's gonna go like, but when you actually start working and, and doing everything, it's totally different. So you're creating these systems and you know training systems and ordering systems and supply chain things, and you gotta dial that first one in before you should even think about number two, but then you also still do have to think about number two because it's going to take another two years to develop. So you're like, if I want another store to be open in two years from now, I got to actually sign something today. So you got to, it's a combination of like foresight as well, because you're kind of predicting where you're going to be over the next two years as that second store is being developed. And uh, did you guys hit a, I'm trying to remember, because I we've talked a lot throughout this, but did you guys hit a certain revenue at the first location before you signed the lease for the second? Were you guys waiting for a certain level of success first or did you know you were definitely going to do two to three first? I, yeah, I don't think it was like a definitive number though, but I think we got to a point where we're like, it's business is going well and we're continuing to grow. So we felt safe signing that second lease. Um, actually, the second lease we signed still isn't even open yet to give you an idea and we have two other they are going to pass it because some cities are just really slow. So. <laughs> Um, but I think initially though, we did know, all right, this concept, if it works for us is too good to just do one. And I do like the idea of springing them up. I always say like every city deserves a Cali coffee because I think it's just so fun and people enjoy going that I'm like, 
yeah, I want to spread that to more places too. And if they can play off each other even better, it's like this whole intra ecosystem that is created like weird today. Uh, Rose went to a restaurant up in Jupiter and she saw a Cali coffee sticker on her car, like 60 miles away from the nearest location. And it's just that it just motivates me so much to continue to grow. And like somebody like took a sticker, they may have paid for it and they put it on their car. Like that's a pretty big statement, you know, you gotta, I'm not just gonna go get a random sticker and put it in my car, I gotta really love the business. And so it's very inspiring and motivational. That's like my muse is like, the more people, the more things I see like that, I'm like, keep going, fuck sleep, keep grinding, I love this, and it's amazing. Um, one, one thing I learned from you and how you guys are doing the locations, cause we've, we've now thought about, hey, would we want a second, would we want a third? And I think you guys have done it right, and Starbucks also, you know, the joke with Starbucks is like, okay, there's one on one corner, but if you miss it, there's one like right on the next corner. And most people will look at that and like, aren't they, aren't they cannibalizing themselves? Aren't, isn't one taking business from the other? But I think you guys are doing it really well where really you shouldn't open up a second location until your first one is really getting to the point where it's basically overflowing. Exactly. And then when you open that second location, you almost purposely are stealing some of that overflow from the previous location and you have a built-in market because it's close enough that people already have brand recognition. You already have customers where this location is actually more convenient for them. And I think that if anybody does want to do multiple gym locations, they should be thinking about it the same way. It shouldn't be, oh, we're kind of successful let's open up this second location 60 miles away so we don't steal anybody for the first one. It should be, no, let's get our first one to the point where it's so successful it's overflowing and then let's put it close enough where we do steal that overflow and then we already have a built-in uh, you know, market in, in yeah. that one. Yeah, because when you do open a second location, no matter what your business is, it's gonna open up more, now you have twice as many things to worry about, essentially, in a lot of levels, right? And so it's like, would you rather have one successful store or two mediocre ones with twice the headache now. It's like, you gotta dial it in. And so yeah, Hollywood got to the point where our line was just out you know, in the street um, all the time. And so we were like, we need to open something else up. And like you said, we didn't really know what to expect. I mean, the only data point we really had was how Hollywood's growth was. So we were like, okay, well, Cooper City, you know, it's close by, hopefully we can match or beat those numbers. And then, uh, it, you know, the lot, we've only been open there for seven months and even from day one at Cooper City, it was already busier than Hollywood. So it was like all these people, the anticipation, people were like, oh my God, like when's Cooper City opening? I live two miles from there. My daughter goes to school across the street, you know? We had so many messages and people saying that at a Hollywood store that when we opened, it was just like creating a, a dual replica at a different store. And we never had that like that growth period time. We got a bypass. Yeah, so that first day was like great. How long did it take you to hit anywhere near that in that first Hollywood location? Was that like four or five months in or was that even longer than that? I mean, Hollywood, oh man. Hollywood went through a phase before Cooper that it was like, it was crushing. It was still, when there was only one, one Cali Coffee in Hollywood, the last, before Cooper City opened, the, the previous three months were just like, bonkers like bananas but um where cooper city's at right now hollywood only really got there in the like the, maybe eight months leading up before cooper city opened so i guess there was a lot more downtime or slower time with hollywood and cooper city got to kind of like warp past that and just start at a pre-established level wow could you share like a good day for you just so people have an idea of like how much you guys are crushing you don't have to give like full numbers and yeah. stuff but like what is a good day in terms of like drinks or revenue? What are some of your best days you guys have done? I mean, in terms of drinks, we've done, you know, we have busy days, we'll do over 2,000 drinks, um, which is- And what does that work out to? You said like it's every- So we're open for business 990 minutes a day. So you're doing over two drinks a minute from 5.30 a.m. to 10 p.m. And on, you know, obviously it goes like this to curve, but on average you're doing that. So then you look at your peak hours and some of our peak hours we're doing, we're averaging four drinks a minute, or I'm sorry, yeah, four drinks a minute for the entire hour. Like we'll do 240, 250 drink hours at a single location um, and we're just blitzing in there. That's when the line's out, you know, to who knows where. And we got eight of us in there, music's on 10 and we're just like jamming out. And those are honestly the most fun times because the vibe is so good. It's like business feeds business because people drive by and sometimes they'll be like, oh, I don't want to go there. It's too long of a line. And other times they'll be like, the line's crazy, I gotta see what that's about and they'll pull in just to see. And we have actually developed a lot of new customers that way. 
Nice. And we'll have to get Rose on here soon as well and, and talk about kind of like how you guys work together a little bit better. But I'm wondering if you could speak to that a little bit now of just like, how have you guys, especially now second location, more on the way, like how have you found to divide and conquer in a way and kind of use each other's skill sets? That's huge. Like it, Callie would be probably inflamed without her. I mean, honestly, like I'm really good at some things and I'm really bad at some other things that she fills those gaps perfectly. And she's so, she's just, she has no ego um, and she's so just goal driven. Or, or both of our purposes are the same. It's to see Callie grow and thrive and be the best it could possibly be. And so she'll just see where, okay, like Craig's focused over here, so I need to take care of this. And she'll just jump in and do it. And half the time, I don't even know she's doing it, but she'll just do it and all of a sudden it's done. And I'm like, oh, thank you, you know, you, you did that. So, I mean, she's the best business partner. We, you know, the chemistry's great and uh, it's just, it works, it's like harmonious. Yeah, and the other thing I noticed with you guys is that you really have built your life around this. You guys don't have kids yet, you have dogs, but like when it comes to where you guys live, the stuff you buy, like everything is really geared towards getting this business successful. And even as you guys have hit this massive success, it's not like, all right, we got all this money, let's go buy all these things. It's very much still very focused on really the game of it, the, the seeing it be successful, wanting to see how many locations you can do, wanting to see how, how big you can grow it. It's not like, I mean, even as you guys have gotten the financial means, I think the only thing I see you spend money on is food. Like, you know, you'll, you'll splurge on that. But outside of that, I don't really see you um, you know, spending a ton of things on, you know, you pretty much keep it simple and it's all about business. Yeah. We don't spend money on anything besides Cali coffee and, and food. We just basically are, are refunneling back into the business to, to fuel the growth. You're absolutely right. And I think you have to be that obsessed to really do, in my opinion, I think you need to be obsessive with your business. You have to just care so much that, uh, you're willing to, you don't even think about the other things. You don't even think like, Hey, my business is making me money. So now I'm going to go buy a car. Like, or hey, my business making me money, so now I'm just not thinking about vacation. I know it's probably bad. I think there's, you gotta, to some extent, enjoy the other things, but I, for me, the, the the ride itself, like the journey of, of growth, that's what I just thrive on. I love it. And so I don't care if I don't take a vacation for like three years, kind of, because I'm just so enamored by what's going on with Cali. And if I see a location opening that month, that to me is like the most exciting thing that could happen. It's more exciting than, than going to Fiji or, you know, driving a better car or whatever. Yeah, I think it's really important to, to build a life that you don't need a vacation from and to build a life that you actually look forward to Monday morning or whatever the start to your week is, or in your case, you really don't have a start and end. Yeah. It's just kind of, you know, every yeah, day exactly. you're, you're, you're giving it your all towards building this amazing business. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll end it there. I appreciate you coming on, Craig. For sure. Um, it's always good chatting with you. So thanks for coming on and making the time. Absolutely, brother. Anytime. Yeah. Thank you.